Okay, we are rolling. So, here I find myself covered in jib dust, painting more than I'd like to actually and showing my age, demolishing a wall in a factory. And you're probably asking yourself, what on earth has this got to do with plastics? Well, the answer to that question will involve us going back in time a little bit. Uh, right, so yeah, this is, uh, this is the Elysium Warehouse. So you can see it's quite a small uh, building, but great location. This is Toby Green. He's showing us around a small factory in Miramar. We're going into the kitchen, if you like. Via a small roller door, you enter a 10-metre square warehouse. In case you're not familiar with commercial warehouses, that is tiny. We take a left, past the walk-in fridge and enter the kitchen. It's a tiny room, with a sink, some bench space, and a couple of chefs. When we arrive, they're chopping cucumbers, peeling garlic, and busily filling pots of tatsiki. Sorry. So yeah, we've got these plastic pots. We've got, uh, yeah, everything goes in there by hand. And then everything gets packed by hand into cardboard boxes. This is the current home of Elysian Foods. They manufacture Greek foods, like olives and dips like tatsiki and taramasalata. If you're thinking Toby doesn't sound very Greek, well, you're right. I have always been a very passionate consumer of taramasalata in particular. When I moved to London after university, it was really popular. I suspect it probably still is. Elysian Foods is the only company in New Zealand that makes taramasalata. And I saw this company was for sale. And I came to talk to them, and Basil and Martha were in their 70s. They were running the business, and they'd been trying to sell it for a few years, and no one wanted to buy it. And I can kind of understand why, because it was so small, very much a family business. Basil hadn't been on holiday for 20 years. He hadn't re- written the recipe down. He didn't really weigh things out. did most of the stuff by sight. When I first came to sell, I was like, oh, no, it's just really too small. It's not really a viable business. And then he was like, oh, if no one buys my business, uh, I've been trying to sell it all these years and I want to retire. And if no one buys it by the end of the summer, this was October 2017, if no one buys it by the end of the year, maybe, he said, I'll just close it down. And I was like, oh, right. Well, that changes things considerably. So um, I gave up my corporate career and got into <laughs> making Tarama Slaughter instead. So basically, Toby bought the business for a love of food. But as we're going to find out, the lack of recipes holidays, and profit weren't his only concerns. Hello, I'm John Duffy, and you're listening to Consume This. Today's episode isn't about dips or delicious Greek food. It's about the packaging they come in, namely plastic packaging. So we don't want to be producing, personally, Elysian Foods, myself, I don't want to be running a company that's producing tons of plastic that could potentially end up floating around, washed up on the beaches, out in the Pacific Ocean. Plastic packaging uses up 2% of the oil globally extracted each year, and it's projected to take up 15% of the remaining carbon budget by 2050 if we carry on projected growth rates. Most of the time, the impact of the product is, say, 10 times the impact of the packaging. 
but the packaging is this hot button issue right because it's the thing that consumers have to dispose of you know they might eat the product and so that gets forgotten about but the packaging they have to somehow do something with it right and so they're forced to make a choice which bin do i put it in or can i compost it or can i do something else with it or can i reuse it i'm sure you're familiar with the issue maybe you always pick the item that comes in a glass jar or even head down to your local refillable store And if I reflect on my own situation, absolutely, I would always opt for a glass bottle over a plastic one because the perception is the glass recycling scheme is really reliable here in New Zealand. And, you know, in in my mind, the plastic recycling scheme is really patchy. In some areas you can recycle, in some areas you can't. But if I want the things I'm used to in my life, there's only so much that I, as a consumer, can do to reduce my plastic footprint because so much comes packaged in plastic is it just that we need manufacturers to stop producing stuff in plastic then we can switch to alternatives right well over the next two episodes we'll discover it's just not quite that simple but as the new owner of elysian foods toby he doesn't know that yet so when i bought the business four and a half years ago i always had reservations about the fact that we were packing our products into plastic pots, I was always conscious that we should come up with a better alternative, that putting things into plastic was not in line with my life values, shall we say. A few years ago, probably pre-COVID, I remember saying, right, if, if we haven't solved the plastic pot packaging problem by the end of the year, we should close up the business. That's how serious I was about it. And then COVID came along and obviously there were lots of different things impacted and that kind of went away for a little while. More recently, I realized that we'd got to a point, we'd already sold 100,000 plastic pots of products, which was two tons, because each one weighs 20 grams, including the lid, 22 grams. And I was like, oh my God, two tons of plastic. I'm personally responsible for injecting two tons of plastic uh, into the environment just in the first 10 months of the year. And I was like, right, I should do something about that. So that's the background to the quest for trying to get rid of plastic packaging. We need to get technical for a second. Plastic isn't just one thing. There are lots of different types. They have different properties, uses, and end-of-life options. Some can be recycled, and some can't. And even within the recyclable types, some are more recyclable than others. The most common types of plastic used by the packaging industry here in Aotearoa are PET, It's also referred to as number one plastic. That's what soft drink bottles are made from. It's also the easiest to recycle in New Zealand. The majority of it goes to a place called Flight Plastics, where they turn it back into food and drink containers. Then there's number two plastic, high-density polyethylene, a.k.a. HDPE. Think milk bottles and cleaning products. They're also quite recyclable. And finally, plastic number five, otherwise known as polypropylene. So we use number five for the pots, and the lids are, I'm not quite sure, but they're not really super recyclable. Number five plastic is common for chilled dips. Imagine a hummus container, and you're there. Theoretically, they can be recycled in New Zealand, but in practice, not all councils do. If you're in Taupo, you can chuck them in your recycling bin. But head down Stay Highway 5 to Napier, and it's straight into the rubbish. Another issue is that they don't get recycled into the same type of container. 
they're downcycled into things like wheelie bins and fence posts. That's not really a very circular solution. Crucially, it doesn't do anything to prevent more virgin dip containers from being manufactured. So, the plastic pile keeps growing. Back to Toby. One of the first people I talked to was this couple called Hannah and Liam. I think they are from the rubbish trip. Uh, And I emailed them and Hannah replied straight away going, oh, it's not that straightforward. And really the only environmentally friendly solution to packaging is reusable. You would probably look at what ABC does with their swapper crate system, right? They service the major breweries and they have the longest running reuse system in New Zealand. They've been going for 100 years. They own all the bottles. And the thing is that DB and Lion don't get to choose the shape of the bottle. They don't. They get to choose their label. And they have to use a label that's easy to wash off. The ABC collects the bottles back, takes it to Lion and DB. Back in the day, ABC used to wash them, but they don't wash them anymore, so Lion and DB do that. But so basically what you would need is not a solution for Toby, but you would need a solution for the dip, like, here are five different jar sizes. I'm an independent packaging company called Hannah's Reuse. You want 500 jars. You call Hannah's Reuse. She sends them to you on a pallet. They arrive. You fill them. They go out to the market. And Hannah's Reuse is in charge of getting all them back, washing them, putting them back on pallets. So that that's what we need is reusable packaging companies we don't need individual companies like toby inventing their own system because it's not efficient it, it seems common sense again suggests it's the best option the, the true cost of re- reusable containers may not be that attractive but it's just simply not possible at the moment The reason that switching from single use to reuse would be more expensive now is because we have all of our systems set up around single use. So actually, reusable packaging is cheaper overall to run, but it's really difficult to unpack because at the moment, it won't be cheaper for companies because the costs of the single use packaging system are externalized. Councils manage waste and recycling. And so there's a product stewardship scheme and does discussion at the moment for plastic packaging which in theory should internalize the costs but a reuse system automatically internalizes the costs and so it's much more expensive to try and recycle a bottle than it is to wash it but it's much cheaper for a company to do neither. Toby is supportive of reusable packaging. There's a fill your own store around the corner from his current factory which he supplies. He also encourages locals to pop by the factory and fill their own containers. But the reality is, Elysian Foods is too small to pressure the supermarkets or the government to set up a reusable packaging scheme just for dips. For now, at least, he still needs one-way, single-use packaging. His goal is to find the packaging with the smallest environmental footprint. And that's where things start to get complicated. The environment, you know, quote unquote, is not just one thing, you know, depending on whether you're talking about carbon footprint or how circular something is or how recyclable it is. Those are all quite different things and they aren't necessarily aligned. This is Jeff Vickers. He's the technical director of ThinkStep ANZ, a sustainability advisory firm. 
Their key focus is helping organisations quantify their sustainability goals with evidence and hard numbers. One of the challenges you've got is when you say we want to make something more sustainable or reduce its environmental impact, part of it's about what impacts are we talking about? Because every product has an impact. And I would also say that reusable packaging has an impact too. To assume that um, one particular packaging format is more or less sustainable than the other, or even to be able to calculate that, it's difficult because it depends what you include in the scope. You know, Is it low carbon? Is it highly recyclable? Is it, is it more circular because it's highly recyclable? Is it reusable? Is it bio-based? Is it biodegradable? Is it whatever? And there's all these different terms and they all have slightly different meanings. And it's trying to understand, well, what's important in your context, I think is probably the most important thing. To put it simply, what Jeff's saying here is that it really depends on what you care most about. There are two main factors. The first is litter potential. This is the combination of how likely it is that your ice cream wrapper is going to end up stuck to your thigh when you sit down on the beach, i.e. out in the environment. And of course, how it breaks down when it gets there. The second issue is harder to quantify. Carbon footprint. That's how much something is contributing to the climate crisis. There are always going to be trade-offs, but the ultimate goal is to find packaging that has a low impact on both fronts. So, what are the options? Toby could switch from the number 5 polypropylene he's currently using to a number 1 plastic. The recycling facilities for number 1 plastics are much more widely available and cheaper and easier. Most councils in New Zealand accept it. But I feel like that's a bit of a cop-out because you're still going to have that problem of plastic in the environment. If it's able to be recycled, it's got to be picked up, it's got to be washed, it's got to be taken to a factory, it's got to be melted at high temperatures and then recast into a new plastic pot and all these sorts of things. But is that really that great? There's glass, but that presents its own issues. It's, there's four times the amount of greenhouse gas units in a glass jar compared to the same size plastic pot. Glass production actually has a lower carbon footprint per kilo than plastic. The issue is it's much heavier. It takes a lot more material to make the same size container. And on top of that, the extra weight means that the carbon cost of transporting the products also jumps way up compared to the plastic that Toby is already using. And it kind of makes sense. There's also the consideration that using glass in a food industry is really difficult and it requires a whole lot of extra investment in terms because glass is so much more dangerous if it chips. It chips a glass in the product and you get recalls. And So they're kind of excluded glass from the outset. Another potential alternative is the new breed of compostable packaging. It's been slowly creeping its way onto our supermarket shelves over the last few years. We were in lockdown and my partner, Sarah, and I decided... Uh, when we got to level three in Wellington, that we should order some takeaways. And it came in these pots, uh, which I subsequently found out was made of bamboo. I know what you're imagining. No, it doesn't look like a big stick of bamboo with the ends chopped off. It's not that exciting. It's a round tub that looks like it's made out of brown cardboard. I thought, oh, that's nice. That's pretty cool. It doesn't come in plastic, like all the HelloFresh type family meals that we get sometimes. The reason it triggered my interest is I put it in the sink in the garage. I washed it out and left it full of water in the sink and I must have got distracted and came back to it a week later. And I noticed that the pot was completely unaffected. Like there was no sign of any seepage. I thought, oh, maybe that's something that we could use. I've never seen 
a food company packaged dips of any description in a bamboo slash cardboard pot anywhere in the world, as far as I can tell. So that kind of put me off a bit. But I was like, well, we should look into it. Why not? Toby followed the trail and tracked down the source of these bamboo containers. It turns out they're produced by a huge multi-billion dollar Finnish company, Hutamaki. Uh, and I contacted them and I said that what I was proposing to do. And they were like, no one's ever done that before, mate. That sounds crazy. So they sent me some samples. We filled these up with dips and covered them with cling film. Put the lids, they come with a cardboard lid, and put them in the chiller because we wanted to see shelf life test, basically. So we tested them and they, they seemed to be okay, given that we hadn't put the cling film on particularly well. One of the big advantages of the plastic that Toby and Elysian Foods are currently using is that it has a soft lid. Once the pot is full, you push it down and that creates the seal. The whole process is done by hand. It was really good for small food manufacturers, small volumes. But these pots, uh, you would need to put a film on, which would be heat sealed onto the top of the pot. And that requires a piece of machinery that we don't have. And that's quite expensive. The cheapest machine Toby could find to apply a heat sealed lid was around $30,000. That's not a problem anymore. Over the last four years, the company's grown to a scale where Toby feels comfortable investing this kind of cash. But there is one issue. Remember right at the start of the episode when I was demolishing a wall? Probably more efficient way of doing this. It's the first wall I've The new packaging machine is large. And Toby's current kitchen is not. So then it was like, okay, well, we need to move to a bigger premise. If we're going to go down this journey of moving away from plastic packaging, we're going to have to move to a bigger premise in order to buy the machines and set them up so that we can move that. So that becomes a huge decision then. That's the process that we're going down at the moment, just so that we can have the space to bring these machines in and hopefully move to away from plastic packaging. By now, we're getting a sense of why it's so difficult for businesses to stop using plastic packaging. I mean, Toby is buying and fitting out an entirely new building to make the transition possible. Even with me helping on the sledgehammer duties, that's a mammoth undertaking. So, Toby, you're in your new factory. It's day one. Tell us what's going on. Well, the, uh, we started demol- uh, the demolition work this morning, 8 o'clock. And we're focusing on uh, getting the kitchen done first. It should take about six weeks. Then we can move from Miramar into our new, uh, into here. His business, Elysian Foods, also exists at a sweet spot for this transition. It's grown large enough to make investing in new packaging equipment worthwhile. It doesn't have thousands of dollars sunk into legacy systems. And crucially... Toby is really passionate about doing what's best for the environment. You know, I like to make sure you know, that you're doing things for the right reason. You don't want to be accused of greenwash and all this sort of thing. These bamboo pots with the lid on weigh 17 grams. There's 17 grams of once earthy material in there. Are they better for the environment than 22 grams of plastic, which is the current weight of the plastic pot on the lid? And for me, that was just a no-brainer. I was like, of course they are. <laughs> Yeah, I barely need to check this. I mean, it's just so obvious. But the first part of that journey was like, who do I ask? Surely there's people who know this sort of information. And it turned out to be incredibly difficult to find people to talk to. 
because I don't want to go down this path. And then someone go, oh, bamboo, you know, it's the new palm oil of the 2025, you know, whatever. It suddenly becomes a great scar on the Amazon rainforest. You definitely want to make sure you ask the right questions, even if they appear really commonsensical, that the answer should be X, Y, Z. You don't want someone to come and, and say, oh, no, that's you, you've, you've made this huge investment. And now, you know, you're being pilloried by consumers and the press for trying to do the right thing. Because people are very critical very quickly. On top of building a new factory and investing a ton of money into new equipment, this is the other issue small businesses face. The lack of information. There isn't a New Zealand-specific tool that makes it easy for businesses to compare the impacts of different types of packaging. As part of its Rethinking Plastics in Aotearoa report, the government has committed to creating tools to help with this problem. But they're unlikely to arrive much before 2025. So, how do you work out whether 17 grams of bamboo is a lower impact option than 22 grams of plastic? I'm Jeff Vickers and I'm Technical Director of ThinkStep ANZ. One of our specialist areas is the measurement of sustainability and helping people to measure how they're tracking against their goals, trying to unpack some of the numbers rather than it being kind of a fluffy, all-encompassing concept. So I have a PhD in environmental engineering, focusing on sustainable product design and life cycle assessment. The key thing Jeff mentioned here is life cycle assessment. Before we go any further, we need to know some more about that. A life cycle assessment is a way of trying to assess the environmental footprint of a product. And so what you're trying to do is you're looking at all the different life cycle stages. So we start right from the point of where materials come out of the ground, if they're virgin materials and are being extracted from the earth, whether that's from mining or whether it's from forestry or some other form of agricultural operation. We look at all of the transport, all of the processing that happens to get them to semi-finished products, right through to final products that are ready to be sold to the customer. We look at packaging, we look at distribution of the final packaged product to the customer, warehouse retail distribution, finally, you know, how you get it home, what you do with the packaging, the actual use of the product over its life. So if it's an energy using product, like let's say a refrigerator, we also account for the electricity being used in the production of that electricity. And finally, we look at the product's end of life, which could be putting it in the landfill, or it could be sending it for recycling, or in some countries, incineration, or depending on the product type, it might be composting or whatever else. We look at all the different kind of options that could happen for that. And we're trying to calculate that kind of full picture of the product through its life. And the goal of life cycle assessment is really to try and avoid burden shifting. So you're trying to stop moving problems from one place to another or one time to another. So we always account for the full supply chain. It doesn't have to be in New Zealand. It could be internationally. And we're trying to account for all of that supply chain and all of the downstream stages so that we can say, okay, what is the total impact? And therefore, what is the significance of any one life cycle stage um, to the total impact? Usually packaging isn't the biggest contributor to the life cycle of the product, but we only know that because we calculate the rest. Life cycle assessments are the gold standard of this kind of work. You can spend tens, even hundreds of thousands hiring someone like ThinkStep. They'll undertake a review of your product and packaging, look at a range of different options and spit out a peer-reviewed study. But that kind of investment is still out of reach for Elysian Foods. But there are some things we can learn by looking at another study ThinkStep have recently conducted for NZ Post. Yeah, so the New Zealand Post study, what New Zealand Post was hoping to do is choose the lowest carbon and the lowest impact courier bag. 
So they're starting from the point that they could use a lot of different options and they were getting a lot of pressure from the market. People wanted them to get out of plastic bags and move to something. There were lots of different options of what that something could be. So that you can have a paper envelope style thing. You could have a padded paper envelope, home compostable courier bag. But then you could also have plastic bags that are still plastic, but have a lot more recycled content in them, which brings their carbon footprint down. And so if you're starting from that point, we have all these different options. How do we evaluate which one is environmentally preferable? They commissioned us to produce a lifecycle assessment study. The goal was to make it publicly available because for them, the communication of this information to the final consumer and also to business customers was really important. NZ Post's situation is actually very similar to Toby's. They started out packaging agnostic. And I guess the best result from a marketing point of view would be to get rid of the plastic. That's what we, their customers, want. But their overall goal is to minimise their environmental footprint. And so what we did is we looked at all those different options. We went into the supply chain. We worked with their suppliers to work out what is the material composition of each bag? Where are the things coming from? Where are they being sourced from? How are they being made? And we used that information to build up an environmental assessment, a life cycle assessment of the products. We captured the manufacturing stages. We captured the transport through New Zealand Post Network. And we captured the end of life. So whether it was going to landfill or composting or whatever, the biggest impact you've got is actually in the making of the bags originally. And then also what happens to them at end of life. The challenge that you've got is that if you have a paper bag, for example, then it can biodegrade. And if people would do the right thing and put that into recycling, then that's great. But if they don't and they put it into landfill, then you have this problem where it's breaking down in the landfill, it's potentially releasing methane. Methane is a potent greenhouse gas and there's an impact of that. Some of that's been captured and burnt by the landfills and turned into energy and that's cool. But in the cases where that doesn't happen, you're releasing methane to the atmosphere and that has a significant warming effect. In the case of other bags, like a plastic bag, it's chemically inert. If you put it in a landfill, not much happens. And so you end up with quite big differences at end of life, depending on what the product is. I think maybe one of the surprising findings of this is that home compostable bags didn't look that great. And part of the reason for that is that um, they often use a a fossil-derived biodegradable plastic. Those are the plastics typically used for home compostable bags. So what happens is when that breaks down in the landfill, you're actually releasing fossil fuel to the air. It's not really dissimilar to just setting it on fire. So if you took the bag and you lit a match and burnt it, it's actually very similar to you actually composting it because you're just putting all of the carbon dioxide that was in that effectively fuel, which came out of a hole in the ground because it's out of an oil well, you're just basically burning that. And that's actually not a hugely desirable outcome. As you can see, this starts to get really complicated. It's not as simple as switching from plastic to paper, despite the fact that that would look like an easy win. In its study, NZ Post compared virgin plastic, recycled plastic, paper, and compostable plastic. If you'd been into a post office recently, the results of the study probably won't be a surprise. Yeah, so the key findings from the New Zealand Post study was that the recycled plastic bags outperformed all the other bags in the study. So they're significantly better than the original bag. The carbon footprint was about 60% lower than the original bag. And we found that recycled bags made in New Zealand using New Zealand recycled plastics were the the best performer. We also considered recycled bags made in China. The reason the New Zealand ones perform better, it's partly transport distance, but more importantly, it's actually our renewable electricity mix. So recycling plastics requires a lot of electricity. New Zealand's electricity mix is pretty clean and green and very renewable, largely. That means that the carbon footprint of recycling in New Zealand is actually very low. 
And so we found that the recycled plastic bags outperformed everything else. The worst performers, ironically, were the paper bags. It's not because paper is a bad material, but it's because paper packaging is inherently much heavier. And that's the main problem. You need a lot more material to get the same performance that you would from the plastic. Ask yourself, are you surprised by that? We know about the issues with plastics. They've been heavily publicised for years. But we also can't ignore the climate crisis or the need to rapidly decrease our CO2 emissions. Ultimately, despite the public pressure to move away from their plastic courier bags, NZ Post decided that minimising their carbon footprint was more important. So what about Toby? He started this journey several months ago determined to stop using plastic packaging. He's bought a new building and a new packaging line to facilitate the change. But as we've found out, there are a lot of other factors to consider. That's right. But at the end of the day, it's still come back to the fact that would I rather be putting two tonnes of plastic into the environment or two tonnes of bamboo waste? At the end of the day, it just seems common sense to suggest if you can go down the two tonnes of bamboo waste, this is going to turn into organic mulch. Surely that's got to be better for the environment. Well... We'll find out on the next episode of Consume This. Is 17 grams of bamboo more environmentally friendly than 22 grams of plastic? Or have we all been missold? Is our move towards plastic-free pantries doing more harm than good? That's on the next episode. You've been listening to Consume This. This episode was hosted by me, John Duffy, and produced by Tom Ruth-Smith. Our executive producer was Gemma Rasmussen. Links to further reading, including the Rethinking Plastics in Aotearoa and the NZ Post Lifecycle Analysis Reports, are available in the show notes. Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ. We're proud of our independence, which we can only achieve because we're a not-for-profit supported by our members. For more information on Consumer and showing us your support by becoming a member. Please follow the link in the show notes. See you next time. Hello, I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.